listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Have you ever wanted to eat something that can sting? Then stinging nettles are for you. Rootbound is proud to be supported by Urtica Dioica, the original stinging nettle. Rootbound is not responsible if you are stung by stinging nettle. Stinging nettles will sting your hands and mouth. Proper handling and preparation required. Don't eat stinging nettle if you have an allergy to stinging nettle. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to Rootbound, the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. My name is Steve, and I am the host of the show. Each week on Rootbound, I invite a guest who joins me on the podcast to share with us all about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me, and through this process we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Do you have any Captain Kirks growing in your garden? How are your Bilbo Bagginses doing this year? Those are cultivar names for a hosta, the Captain Kirk hosta, and a dahlia, the Bilbo Baggins dahlia, and because of the plant I'm going to talk about later in the show today, it had me thinking about what plants have been named after, like, pop culture things. And uh, it's pretty interesting. And I kind of have broke it up into three sections of how plants have been named after pop culture things. And the most common is those cultivars, right? These are cultivars of other, you know, these are cultivars of plants that have a name like hosta. uh, But it is a cultivar called the Captain Kirk hosta, or the Bilbo Baggins dahlia. Um, And those, it's pretty easy to name one of those after a pop culture thing because uh, basically anybody can create their own cultivar and if you submit it to the right naming authority, you can kind of give it almost any name you want. There are some rules, but there's a lot of wild cultivar names out there uh, and those uh, are pretty fun. A little bit harder is to get a pop culture reference into the scientific name for a plant, but how about Stellis Oscar Grouchy? (laughs) Named after, of course, Oscar the Grouch uh, is a plant in the uh, orchid family from South America. And if you look at it in a pot, I can see how it looks a little bit grouchy. Or then there's the Begonia Darth Vaderiana, which, of course, is a begonia that is trained in the dark side of the force. Uh, but no, really, it's a pretty cool begonia that has these black leaves. But that's pretty cool. And uh, naming a scientific name of a plant is trickier because, first of all, you have to, like, actually have a new plant and, you know, and... It, There are plants that have not been quote-unquote discovered out there, but that's harder as time goes forward. And then also you have to get the name accepted, and there's a lot of rules for like scientific namings, and it has to be accepted by scientific bodies around the world. But there's a bunch of those, including the Oscar Grouchy and the Darth Vaderiana. But I think the trickiest thing to name a plant after a pop culture reference is the common name. Because a lot of the common names have already been well-established for like millennia, and so I don't think we're going to be seeing any like you know, Captain Kirk's, that is just like the common name, not not a uh, cultivar name or the scientific name. And the plant that we're going to talk about later today is one of those. It's named after a pop culture reference from the 1700s, but pop culture reference nonetheless. In fact, there's two plants we're going to talk about that are part of the same pop culture reference that, that are named after two different plants, which is pretty interesting. But I was trying to think of other ones like this. And I was really coming up a blank. The only two I could really come up with that made sense are the Narcissus, which is, you know, named for flowers in the daffodil family. Um, And they, like, bend over the water. And it's based on that Greek myth about Narcissus, who was so narcissistic, he couldn't help looking at himself in the water. And then he turned into a flower because he just stood there for too long. And then Solomon's Seal, which is a biblical reference to King Solomon, um, you know, 
pop culture references of their times, I suppose. Um, but I wonder if this one I'm going to talk about is the latest example of a pop culture reference that is the common name of a plant, like the well-known common name. Or if you can think of another example after you hear this episode, let me know, because it's actually a pretty fun challenge. Like, what is the most recent pop culture reference that we commonly call a plant? That's a challenge for you. And with that, let's meet our guest and first talk about a plant that has a very just descriptive name. They look like a band to me. You need to move back more. Why? Because when I do my double jump kick off the ant with slashing windmills, I'm going to need more room. Well, don't do that then. Yeah, it sounds a little too Millie Vanilli, Zach. And if I back up anymore, my extension cord might damage the miniature date palm. The what? That's what that's called. My aunt's got one. Dude, don't call plants by their specific names. It's very not rock and roll. Hi, Laura. Thank you for joining me on Rootbound. Hello. Do you have a plant to share with us today? Yes, I would like to share um, Echinacea purpurea. See if I can say it correctly today. Uh, purple <laughs> flower. Wonderful. Um, that is a fun plant. I can't wait to hear about it. I have a little thing I'm going to say at the end of why whenever I hear purple comb flower, there's something kind of random that pops into my head. Um, and I'll explain that a little bit later. But I'm happy to hear about uh, uh, it from you. And first of all, why did you choose it? Why is this plant meaningful to you? You know, when when I was trying to think about, you know, what is a meaningful plant to me? I, I love so many different ones because I'm a plant nerd and just... You know, like they they attract different types of bees and butterflies and all of that. But what I thought, what I kept going back to was when we first moved into our house 10 years ago, we knew nothing about landscaping, about plants, about anything. And it was just like, here's a plot of land. Mm-hmm. It's been taken care of, you know, for 60 years. Now it's your turn. And it's like, that's really overwhelming because I didn't want to like screw anything up. And we moved in in uh, February. And so it was just like, I had no real idea of what kind of plants we had other than from looking at Google Maps, like Google Street View. <laughs> and like, well, I see some purple things here. And it turned out, it seemed like the previous landscaper, because we did have a company stop by and say, like, I, I took care of this property for 30 years. That was really cool. Oh, but wow, yeah. um, the purple coneflowers were kind of a focal point in the landscaping that he had put together for decades, um, where... Like we have um, a house that was built in the early fifties. So it kind of follows Frank Lloyd Wright's style and the landscaping along with the, the house itself. And so he had kind of put these purple comb flowers throughout the yard as focal points. And at first I, w- I didn't really know a whole lot about them, but we started to notice how popular they were with the birds and the bees and the butterflies. And then we just started to get to know them more. And what I found, what you know, found that like these are the hardiest. <laughs> like they uh-huh. they'll grow as much as you allow them, and you can't really screw them up. And I love how they evolve through the season, where you know they start, you know, with almost kind of the cone at the top is almost kind of flat, and then throughout the season it turns into almost like a big thimble like of spikes. Yeah. And I just think it's so neat how it how it changes a little bit every week. And then, you know, at the beginning of the season, it's covered in bees. And then um, now at this time of year, we still have finches and chickadees oh. that are on the cone flowers eating from last year. And I just, I love that it provides for the, for, you know, the, the pollinators from, from its beginning to its death. And then however long I let it stay there dead, you know, it'll still, yeah. it'll still give back. And I just think that's really cool. Awesome. Well, that's really well said. A couple things that, that what you said uh, came out to me. One, there's nothing like buying a house to make you learn more about plants. <laughs> I had the same experience. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was into plants before 
but I never really had anywhere to grow them. And, and it wasn't until we bought this house that I just went full on. And now I have a podcast about plants. Uh, and then the second thing, which is, I think are really cool is, is, is just that legacy of those plants in your house and how that those plants are still there from like, you know, at least 30 years ago. And, um, plants kind of give like this interesting continuity to things, which I think is super cool. Um, so that's very interesting. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like to think about it that way too. It's interesting to think like how long ago were these initially planted that now they, they take up such a good chunk of the land. Like it's just, it's, it's very fascinating. Yeah. Super cool. Um, do you have some fun facts and dazzling details about the purple coneflower Echinacea purpurea? Oh, purpurea. That's that's right. Purpurea. I tried to pronounce it. No, and not great. Uh, mis- I, uh, mispronouncing. <laughs> yeah, mispronouncing those scientific names is a, definitely a theme on this show. So I do it all the time. <laughs> well, um, something I really like with echinacea, I found. Let me make sure I'm saying this as correctly as I can. Um, it comes from the Greek term. Uh, I think echinids, maybe. Um, named after for hedgehogs where it's like in the middle it's like a spiky hedgehog and so that's oh, where the yeah. name actually comes from and i thought that was really cool um oh right because sure there's, there's, there's that animal from news or from uh australia called the echidna which is like a little hedgehog yes, yes exactly oh yes, the exactly. same root so interesting all, yes yeah like that's so interesting how language all ties back together especially when you get back to the latin right um, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and I, I, I have always found it interesting how important the plant was within indigenous cultures, especially mm-hmm. in North America, um, for its medicinal purposes. So, you know, I've got like the tea that you can get from the store, but I mm-hmm. also like the idea of just being able to, to dry your own echinacea, make your own tea. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. I read that uh, a pharmacist in, I want to say, 1925-ish said that it was the most popular herb at the time for like more than 100 years, which I thought was just interesting that that like that was what people were using the most. And it's used to soothe like sore throats and help with coughs. And some people claim, you know, it helps with other respiratory diseases, um, venereal diseases, all kinds of stuff that's been used for centuries, I thought that was pretty cool. That is really cool. Have you have you made tea with your own echinacea? Yeah, and I walked around the the property before this call to see if I could find any that had enough <laughs> enough left of the uh-huh. the petals and leaves to try to make tea for this podcast. But unfortunately, I I'm a few months too late. I think on that. But, that, yeah. but yeah, I, I really I'm a big fan of trying to grow like I grow chamomile and different mints and stuff, and I just love the simplicity once you realize because tea seems like a complicated thing, but then when you demystify it, it's like, Oh, I just dry this hibiscus and I put it in hot water and that's yeah, tea, totally. you know, and that is the same with the, with the purple coneflower echinacea where it's so much simpler than what I had always imagined it would be. So the, the, what you make the tea out of with the coneflower is the, is the petals and the leaves. Is that what you said? Yeah, and that's how I've done it. Some people use the root, um, mm-hmm. and I, I haven't done it with the root before. But basically, from everything that I've read about it, is that every part of the plant you can turn into tea. Um, oh, okay. You know, some interesting flavors that come from the different pieces and parts. And the root is what I think most people um, consider to be the most medicinally valuable, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of interesting because of that reason it's an endangered plant. 
in the oh, wild because it's uh-huh. been like overly harvested. So it's just kind of interesting um, because in, in our property, it has not endangered. There is no problem with it just completely going wild. Um, but it's interesting to think that like it's not as common to see in the wild and prairies as it once was because of over harvesting for the roots. Interesting. This kind of leads into my weird story about purple comb flower. And this is this is entirely <laughs> fictional, but it it, it it does make sense about why this was written. So uh, my wife is a lawyer. And when she was in law school, they had an imaginary case. It was not real, but they had to like do the whole process of figuring out like what is the right decision to make in this case. And the case was this imaginary case where there was some kind of religious group that wanted to harvest purple comb flowers from Shenandoah National Park, where that's illegal to harvest from, but they were trying to claim a religious exemption because it was their religion to do this. This is not true. It was just made up. Um, But anyway, it was like one of the first things she ever did in law school, and it was like very torturous, and I feel like she has like a negative reaction anytime she hears the word purple comb flower now because of this (laughs) imaginary case that they had to like... uh, But but, uh, hopefully we can get over that. I want to try to grow some of my own. Um, But just... On an aside, the reason why they did that case is because there is a real case where there was a group, a religious group that I think is in the United States, but from somewhere in South America that wanted to legally use ayahuasca in the United States. Um, And there is this law called the uh, religious, I think it's called RIFRA. I forgot what it stands for. Anyway, I'm pretty sure they got special permission to use ayahuasca because of this law. And it was went to the Supreme Court and everything. So they basically like modeled this fake case using purple cone flower as the as the flower that wanted to be used in an illegal way to kind of like have the law students test this idea of like religious exemptions and the constitution. And so that's why whenever I hear purple cone flower just being the spouse of a lawyer <laughs> and having her here, <laughs> like the first time she really had to go through all this kind of legal thinking was was centered on this 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 flower. So, um, but it comes the that reason why I think wild. they chose it is because of its uh, it, it it has had problems of being illegally collected, and so that's why I yeah. That's interesting, and I do have a quick tangent that I will share. Yes, please. That is not purple, not purple comb flower related, but um, is is mock trial fake cases related. <laughs> okay. Where we have something in Ohio called Buckeye Girls State, where I think a lot of states do it. It's like to teach high school students civics and okay. and just like how government works, right? And so everyone runs for a different, a different you know, job within the state. And uh-huh. I ran for municipal ju- judge, and so I got to hear cases about Amish people um, uh-huh. uh, getting drunk and flipping their um, their buggies over. So in a similar <laughs> okay. thing where I got okay. to sit there in my judge robe and get to try and decide if they were guilty of DUI, and there was some religious stuff involved with that too. But just kind of interesting where like that sticks with me of sitting there it, in that uh-huh. cheap plastic robe that they gave us to <laughs> pretend to be judges. But, yeah. That's really funny. Purple Kofara, that's awesome that she winces when she hears it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Scientific name, Echinacea purpurea. This purple cone flower can be cut into a potent feel-good herb. And as usual, where there's feel-good herbs, there's crime. Jeannie Wiegum is a victim. Early this spring when I came out to tend this garden for the first time, there were a number of big holes where plants had obviously been taken. The echinacea that was stolen from your garden, how much do you think that's worth on the open market? 20 cents. Thank you for sharing about purple coneflower uh, with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? Yes, please. 
Okay, so I was trying to think about what to choose, and sometimes I choose a plant that's related, or sometimes it's just one that I thought of. But there is a plant in my yard that is kind of a natural choice to choose, and you'll probably know. And the, the, the plant I chose is Black-Eyed Susan, which is also sometimes called a coneflower as well. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen that, you know, uh, as Laura described, listener, the, the purple coneflower has purple petals, and it kind of like inverts into this cone and the black eyed Susan does that too. Maybe not as much. I don't think it gets quite as coney as the purple cone flower. Um, but it has yellow petals. And then it's also called, well, we're going to get into the name for a minute. Cause there's a whole, I, I went on a whole rabbit hole about the name, but the most common reason why it's called black eyed <laughs> Susan is because in the middle of the flower, it's very dark, quite a bit darker than the, than the purple cone flower, which I think is a little bit more Brown and has some interesting color, like gradients in the purple cone flower. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Uh, whereas the black and Susan is yeah. kind of like dark, much darker in the middle. I yeah. Would say. And also a little smaller. I think the purple coneflower that, that echidna part is quite uh, a bit bigger than, <laughs> but they, they look, when you see them next to each other, they kind of look similar. And at first I was like, and before I started doing my research about this, I think I knew this in the back of my head, but I just kind of assumed they were going to be in the same genus because they look so similar, but they're in fact not. So as you said, purple coneflowers, echinacea is the genus. Uh, the black-eyed Susan is Rudbeckia is the genus, um, which is sounds funny. Um, they are both, though, purple coneflower and brown-eyed Susan, both in the family Asteraceae, or Asteraceae, which is the daisy family, which is a massive, um, also sometimes called the sunflower family, a massive genus of flowers. Um, at one point, or or maybe, I'm not sure, the Asteraceae family is also sometimes called the cup composite family because they are composite flowers um and i've talked about this in a previous episode but when you look at a black-eyed susan or when you look at a purple cone flower uh that the the petals are actually called ray flower ray petals or ray florets and the flowers are actually in that middle part there's hundreds of little flowers in the middle and so it is a composite flower. It is a flower that is made up of other little flowers. Um, and so unlike, yeah, it's, that's why they're called composite flowers. That is so fascinating. Yeah. And so sunflowers that's are like cool. that too. Any any of those flowers you see that are in the daisy family, if you look at them close, you'll see that in the middle, there's just a bunch of tiny little flowers. And those those petals are not kind of how most plants have petals, which the petals are surrounding individual flowers. There's actually little tiny petals down there on the, composite part which is interesting well i look forward to studying all of our black-eyed seasons this <laughs> this summer then that's cool yeah it's very very interesting okay so uh apparently the black-eyed susan has similar traditional medical uses to echinacea um but there's not as much information about that and and i'm not quite sure so as as i say on every episode uh you know disclaimer to listeners Rootbound can't endorse any med medicinal use of anything, you know, but apparently it has traditional uses. Uh, it is also from North America. It's it's from the same regions generally. Um, it has a lot of like, you know, traditional indigenous uses as well. Um, this is one I didn't know. I'm right on the border of Maryland. It's the state flower of Maryland. The black eyed Susan is the state flower of Maryland, oh. which is interesting. And, and like the purple comb flower, the pollinators just super love it. And I, and I never really thought about it the way you said it but yeah the bees love it early in the season but yeah the birds really love it later in the season when the, when the seeds fill up that entire little seed head so that is a really cool thing so they have very similar i think niches in the environment okay 
I go down too many rabbit holes about names of plants. <laughs> and I really kind of went deep on this one. Um, so let's just start. The easy one to explain is the scientific name, which is Rudbeckia hirta. That's H-I-R-T-A. Hirta just means hairy because it has hairy stems, right? If you think about it. Rudbeckia yeah. is a funny one. And this is like, like this happens so much. Uh, you know, the guy, Carl Linnaeus, he's the guy who invented binomial nomenclature, like naming things to names. And because he's the guy who invented it, he just got to name a lot of the plants. Um, <laughs> he just decided. So Rudbeckia, the whole genus, is just named after his professor, Olaf Rudbeck. He just decided. Just like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have so many different types of Rudbeckia plants in my yard. And I never uh, knew that. That's awesome. Yeah. So he was just like, oh, my favorite professor. Yeah, I'm going to name a plant after, after you. You don't get to do that anymore. He'd be like... You know, I know he, he, he really just like cornered the market on naming all that stuff back in the day. Um, so it was nothing to do with the plant, but yeah, Rudbeck. Yeah. Um, now other names for the black eyed Susan, it is also sometimes called brown eyed Susan, which makes sense. Brown Betty, Gloriosa, Daisy, sometimes golden Jerusalem, apparently, uh, English bullseye, poor land, Daisy, yellow, Daisy, yellow oxide, Daisy. I think most people just notice the black-eyed Susan, maybe the brown-eyed Susan. And I was, I was like, okay, why? Why Susan? <laughs> right? Like, what, what's the deal with that? Also, when I, when I f initially heard the name black-eyed Susan, I was like, is this some kind of like violent misogynistic thing? Because right? a, yeah. a black eye and, but it, you know, it's got, and, and luckily apparently it has no reference to that. It, it, it is just referring to the color of a woman's eye. So that's good. I was like, should I call this something different? And maybe brown-eyed Susan was trying to, to, to fight that because <laughs> I don't know. But still, I was like, okay, why uh, black-eyed Susan? Why Susan? Um, and so the first thing I found was this article uh, in Grit Magazine, which is a magazine for rural America. Um, and it was written by someone named Mary Pellerito. And she talks about uh, this poem by a guy named John Gay, who was an uh, English poet, born 1685 and died 1732. And he has a poem that's called Black-Eyed Susan. And in this poem, this character, Black-Eyed Susan, boards a ship to find her lover who is about to go to sea to wish him farewell. Um, and interestingly, her boyfriend is referred to as Sweet William, which there's also flowers called Sweet Williams. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, so they probably named this flower after this character in the story. But it's interesting, these two different flowers that get apparently get their name from the story, because one is native to North America and one is native to like Asia and, and Europe. Um, and they probably were growing around each other because the flowers are gone. But it seems like kind of a strange pair. So I'm like, well, I was like, I want to find out why, like who, who decided we're going to call this one Black Eyed Susan? Like where, where was it first written down? And this is where the internet starts to fail us. I feel like... <laughs> no. I feel like Google is broken in a lot of ways because when you try to find something, you just find the same people repeating the same facts over and over again. So everyone's like, every blog, when you just start Googling, is like, it's called Black Eyed Susan, probably because there's this poem called Black Eyed Susan, and then that's it. There's no like deeper digging, like who decided to call it that, what what happened. Okay. So I went down this rabbit hole, and I still haven't found a positive answer, but I think I've gotten further than most other people on the internet so far. So one thing I've done a number of times on this podcast when I go down my rabbit holes 
is I go to Google Books because Google has scanned in all these really old books and it's really great for horticulture stuff because there are old books about horticulture. Um, you know, other topics may not be as good, but I feel like plants are pretty good and the search is pretty good. So I search for just Black Eyed Susan and I try to go back as far as possible. Um, and I found three interesting things which I think might help us understand a little bit how Rudbeckia Hirta started to become known as Black Eyed Susan, even though it's not perfect. So the first thing I found was from a magazine of horticulture from 1860. And in the section on peas, which uh, shout out to our friend Ashley, who talk, who has a has a, a fear of peas. Um, but in the section about <laughs> peas, um, it's talking about a pea called Lynn's Prolific Wrinkled Pea, uh, which is a funny name. <laughs> Laura almost did a spit take. Fantastic. <laughs> Sorry to say that <laughs> name of P when uh, uh, you were drinking. Um, but it, it goes on to describe Lynn's prolific wrinkled P. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I just noticed the name of the company selling Lynn's prolific wrinkled P is called Nut. <laughs> it's called Nutting Wait, and Sun. Wait, what's it called? Nutting and Sun. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> anyway, it's describing this pea, and then at the end it says, the helium uh, is marked with a small black speck, as in the worthless egg pea. <laughs> oh I'm God. sorry, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. Um, as in the worthless <laughs> egg pea, sometimes called Black-Eyed Susan. So they were calling the 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 worthless egg pea the Black-Eyed Susan pea, which I can't tell what pea that is. Maybe that's a Black-Eyed pea, which is also called the Black-Eyed Susan. But this was like, aha, they weren't only calling Rudbeckia Hirta Black-Eyed Susan. They were calling other things Black-Eyed Susan. Okay, that's cool. W but this is maybe a little bit more confusing because like why, why there's multiple things. So then I was reading a little bit more and then I found another thing from 1847, which is a uh, like a florist's manual and talking about the kinds of uh, things they sell. And it this one mentions in a section of the kinds of flowers they have, a group of flowers called pinks, and it lists different varieties of pinks, which is the name of the flower. And one of those varieties is called Black-Eyed Susan. And this, this says, this is, uh, and it describes this other flower. And I was like, well, what's a pink? That's a very normal flower. Well, it says a pink is another name for dianthus flowers, and Sweet William is a dianthus. So at some point... There was a Dianthus called Black-Eyed Susan and a Dianthus called Sweet William referencing this poem, right? So that makes sense to me when you're naming, you're naming varieties of Dianthus. You say, oh, I know this poem, and this one has a black center, and this one, so let's name them. Okay. So at some point, they were naming you know, things like this. And what this made me start thinking is that this poem in England was pretty popular at the time. Like People knew the reference to Black-Eyed Susan, and then uh, finally, I found another reference to this. And I can't believe I couldn't find this searching earlier. But there is another plant that's called the Black-Eyed Susan Vine. And this is a plant that's from Africa. And it's a vine that covers, and the flowers look pretty similar to Black-Eyed Susan, but they're covered in this vine. And uh, I'll read this, this kind of short thing here about that vine, which I found in uh, a uh, thing called the Family Cyclopedia from like 1850-something. It says, the Black-Eyed Susan Vine is Thunbergia alata, so named in honor of uh, C.P. Thunberg, a celebrated Swiss traveler and botanist, and is native to the East Indies. Its seeds were first sent to this country, 
talking about England, by the distinguished Mr. Telfair from the from the Mauritius in 1823. Uh, it's climbing climbing plant rising to the height of, height of eight feet, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then it says, beautiful but not gaudy, rich without orientation and modest as burns, wee crimson-tipped flower, the mountain daisy in a moment of happy inspiration. A worthy gardener gave this plant the truly appropriate and English name, Black-Eyed Susan. So I think... Black-Eyed Susan is an English name because of the poem. And it just became a way to call flowers. And when you see, if you're someone who's from English, or if you're someone who's English, you see the Black-Eyed Susan either imported to Europe or you see it in North America. It looks like this vine that was called the Black-Eyed Susan. It, 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 it's referencing the poem. And so that's my theory is that it, there's been many, many flowers that have been called Black-Eyed Susan because of the poem. And so it just kind of stuck to our Black-Eyed Susan, and now that is the most famous Black-Eyed Susan, even though at one point they were just calling any flower that had a little black center Black-Eyed Susan. That's that's my best I can tell. I still haven't, like, proved it, but I did fi- think it very interesting that, you know, this poem, which also mentions Sweet William, and there was a Dianthus called Black-Eyed Susan, that makes me think that that's kind of where it started, is, like, marketing of plants based off of this poem. That's what I got. <laughs> that was my journey with the name. That is... <laughs> That's fascinating. So do you think, um, given nutting and sons or whatever, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. was, was black eyed Susan like a derogatory term at some point? Like we'd be like, Oh, this wrinkled pea. She's just a black eyed Susan. Like, no, was it an I, insult? no, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I, it is funny that they think the, the egg pea is worthless. That would seem to just be like uncalled for. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why are you so rude? Yeah, I, I just do think it has to do with the fact that this poem apparently was like the was like the uh, Mandalorian of its day or whatever. It's a very popular piece of, of entertainment, and people knew it. And they're like, "We're going to call this, you know, yeah, the the Mandalorian P or whatever." Um, <laughs> uh, they they named it after this popular poem because it had a black speck. That's that's what it is, and and it it just kind of traveled from plant to plant where it was applicable, and for some reason it has stuck on Rudbeckia hirta more so than I think most of these other ones. Maybe the vine is also as common. It's just, we don't grow that here. It's more of a tropical plant. So we don't see the black eyed Susan vine here. Um, And now particularly with the internet, the internet seems to solidify stuff even more. So now if you search, if you look for black eyed Susan, you find Rudbeckia hirta. uh, Whereas I can only find one reference to a, a pea that is referred to as Black Eyed Susan and only one reference to a Dianthus called Black Eyed Susan. And those are in really weird old books. Like if you Google those, it, it doesn't uh, reference it. And like that one article I mentioned earlier, she talks about there was one reference of like, well, maybe they called these two because they bloom around the same time that Sweet William and the Black Eyed Susan. And it has the story of the love story between Black Eyed Susan and the Sweet William in the poem. But you know, the, there one's a plant from North America, one's a plant from Europe that doesn't make as much sense as someone saying, Oh, here is a Dianthus that has a black eye in the middle, a black spot. And here is another Dianthus, what we can call sweet William. I'll market those blooming together as two characters from this famous poem. That makes more sense to me, but I didn't, I didn't fully solve the, the, the problem, you know, the problem. If I had a little more time, I, you know, that's my problem with this podcast. I just want to keep going deeper and deeper and then I don't (laughs) have enough time. Um, But I think the, the final thing to say about black eyed Susan is, is, um, the other thing I try to search for, and this is really hard and it's a bummer, I wanted to know, like, what is a, an indigenous name for this plant? This is a plant that's native to North America, and I couldn't find any reference. So, audience, if you f- know what it has been called in the past, like pre-colonialism, because 
I would like to refer to it to to that because it has this it has this very English name, but it's not a very English flower. And and uh, I mentioned in my episode about Jerusalem artichokes, which have a similar ridiculous name story. They're also from North America. Um, they have been called, and there is some reference that they have been referred to as sunroot. So I think sunchoke is a better name for those. Maybe if you want to call them sunroot, root, but that might confuse them. But I think there is some like. I would like to start a movement to try to start referring to certain plants with more their native name and not this like strange history uh, of, of like, you know, colonialism names uh, that, that are very frankly confusing, you know, um, or, or we can just call them a purple comb flower, which is just descriptive. Like, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I like the idea of that movement. I'm on board for sure. That's great. Uh, you know, the, the bummer is unfortunately a lot of these names have been, you know, lost or are, are not like shared which is also fine um but yeah I, I think it is good to like to try that and the plants from europe get get to have their whole legacy so yeah that's 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 what i have to say about black eyed susan it's a cool flower i like it, it grows in my garden um and and has a has a weird name history and, and i sorry i lost it there with that lynn's prolific wrinkled piece story that was so funny yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it's oh man last last summer i was at the nursery and like i there's a sign for um and apologies but harry balls milkweed and i was like well i can't <laughs> oh, yeah. not buy that <laughs> like, um yeah and so i put that in the in the giant pot at our front door and it is the descriptor that the name is right on like and it is just insane but like I, I lost it at the nursery where like we're my whole family's <laughs> giggling and like the guy working was just like wow guys you're uh, maybe take it down a notch yeah <laughs> well yeah I've, I've seen that one uh, I think that that uh, that goes around the internet every now and then it's really fun I think you're growing in your front porch and you get to explain to everybody about that that milkweed uh, yeah <sighs> yep well, <laughs> well very good well thank you for joining me on this episode of Rebound it was a lot of fun chatting with you yeah thank you so much Steve I appreciate it. All in the downs the fleet lay moored She was waiting in the wind When black-eyed Susan came on board Saying, where shall I my true love find? Tell me, jovial sailors, tell me true Does my sweet William, does my sweet William Sail among your crew? Will ye who high upon the yard Rocked by the billows to and fro Soon as her well-known voice he heard He sighed and cast his eyes below The cords glide swiftly through his glowing hands And quicker than lightning And quicker than lightning on the deck he stands Oh, Susan, Susan, lovely dear, my vows will ever true remain. Let me kiss off those falling tears, we only part to meet again. Change as ye list ye winds, my heart shall be the faithful compass, the faithful compass that shall point to thee.
believe not what the landsmen say They'll try to tempt thy constant mind They'll say that sailors wend away In every port a mistress find Yes, yes, believe them when they tell thee so For thou art present For thou art present Wheresoe'er I go If to fair India's coast I sail Thine eyes are seen in diamonds bright Thy breath is Africa's spicy gale Thy skin is ivory so white The pleasant breezes Wheresoe'er they blow They bring me memories dreadful word the sails their swelling bosom spread no longer could she stay on board she turned she sighed and hung her head her little boat unwilling rode to land adieu she cried adieu she cried and waved her lily hand That was a musical version of the poem Black-Eyed Susan, written by John Gay and originally published in 1720, now performed by the American folk duo Anna and Elizabeth. You can find their music on Bandcamp. And that brings us to the end of the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Laura Oldham. Laura is a website designer, plant propagandist, and founder of Return to Cinder, a business focused on sustainability, education, and resources. Learn more at returntocinder.club. If you're a fan of Rootbound and you want to help the podcast out, visit rootboundpodcast.com support to find all the ways that you can help the show, including just leaving a rating review on your podcatcher of choice. You can probably just scroll down to the bottom of your phone right now. I would be so thankful. Rootbound is hosted by a man who believes no pee is worthless, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Krikoskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, create your own cultivar and give it some fun pop culture name. Stinging nettles are available for a limited time. Restrictions apply. See plan for details. Void were prohibited. Abundance subject to change without notice. Stinging nettle available in 49 states. Sorry, Arkansas.